G'day, my name is Jeff. We start a new series today in the first letter of John. Can I encourage you to have it open? 1 John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 today. Uh, you'll also find an outline on the service program. Let's pray and we'll ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for giving us your word. Pray that as we look now at this letter of John's, that you will convince us of the truth of uh, who you are and what you have done. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I grew up in an atheist family. On, on Friday nights, we had, uh, at my grandparents' place, we used to have Sabbath dinner and Hebrew prayers, so there was a bit of Judaism thrown in, and I went to an Anglican school, so there was some church influence, but basically my upbringing was atheist. I, I never really questioned the idea that that God doesn't exist. I just, I just assumed it was true. Until one time when I, was, uh, when I was at university, a couple of blokes approached me while I was sitting on the, on the lawn near the library. And they asked me, what do you believe about God? I said, there is no God. God doesn't exist. But then one of the blokes asked me this question. He, he asked, how do you know? How do you know God doesn't exist? Such a, such a simple question, but in my 20 years of life up until that point, I've never asked myself the question. I, I, was, I was stumped. And I realized then that I had just imbibed what my parents taught me. I'd never really thought it through for myself. I had a belief about God. I, I thought I knew something about God, but I had no, no justification for my belief. I didn't know how I knew. I'm pretty sure that I am not the only person in history who is like this. In fact, I suspect it is true of billions of people in the world. They have a view about God. They, 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 they think they know something about God. But if you ask them, how do you know? They won't be able to give you an answer. How do you know that what you believe about God is true? This is a, this is a question worth asking yourself. How do you know that what you believe about God is true? Today, we start this new book of the Bible. It's a letter in the New Testament. The author doesn't actually name himself in, in, in the letter, but right from the very beginning, everybody knew that the letter was written by an early Christian man called John. And John, here at the beginning of his letter, he makes a unique claim. Here at the start of his letter, John claims to have direct eyewitness evidence about the truth of God. Now, a um, little bit of background. John, John was a fairly ordinary sort of a bloke, um, young Jewish guy. He worked with his brother in his dad's fishing business. And everything seemed to be going along okay. But at the age of about 20... Something happened to John. Something that 
Something that turned his life upside down. John met a man called Jesus. John was so impressed by Jesus that he he chucked in the family business and he spent his time following Jesus around. And he saw some amazing stuff. Uh, John saw Jesus do extraordinary miracles, healing the sick, driving out demons, walking on water, calming storms, feeding 5,000 people with just a few loaves of bread. And not only did you see amazing miracles, John heard Jesus' teaching, stunning, mind-blowing teaching, uh, teaching about God and man and life and death. After something like three years of following Jesus around, John, to his horror, saw Jesus executed on a cross. He, he was there within, within earshot. Je- Jesus actually spoke to him from the cross. And then, to his complete surprise and amazement, John saw Jesus alive again. He, he talked with him. He ate with him. He, he even touched the wounds in his hands and side. As I say, John spent about three years with Jesus and those three years completely transformed his life. John and his brother, they never went back to their dad's business. Instead, they spent their lives telling people about Jesus, proclaiming to anyone who would listen that Jesus is the risen saviour and king. Later on, Later on, John wrote a biography of Jesus. We call it John's Gospel. And John also wrote three letters, which are in the New Testament, including this one that we're looking at now. Okay, let's, uh, let, let's dive in and have a look. John starts off by talking about the Word of Life. The Word of Life who existed from the beginning. Now, for those of you who are familiar with John's account of Jesus' life with his gospel. This is going to be ringing bells for you, I'm sure. Uh, John, he actually sounds very much the same as, uh, as he did at the start of his gospel, doesn't he? Um, where, where he talks about Jesus being the word of God, the divine word of God who has always existed. And, uh, and where he talks about how Jesus became man and, uh, and lived among us. Let, let, let me show you from John's Gospel, from, from chapter 1 and verse 1. It's from John's Gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And a bit further on, in verse 14, still in your outline there, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In his Gospel, <coughs> John has already talked about this divine word of life who always existed and who became a man. And in the Gospel, we find out that this word of God who became a man is the man Jesus. But have a, have a look now at uh, the letter, 1 John, and notice this. Notice this. How does John know... What he knows about Jesus. Did you get the question? How does John know what he knows about Jesus? 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me in your Bible. 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and, and, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. How does John know what he knows about Jesus? He didn't read it in a novel. He didn't watch it on TV. He didn't uh, do a Google search and get his answer from Wikipedia. He didn't learn it from his parents. He didn't learn it from his friends. And he didn't, he didn't invent it. He didn't make it up himself. How did John know what he knows about Jesus? He heard Jesus speak with his own ears. He saw Jesus with his own eyes for three years. He saw Jesus alive, doing all those amazing miracles. He saw Jesus die on that cross. And then he saw him alive again, risen from the dead and transformed. John, John touched Jesus when he was alive many times. And, and, and even after he was resurrected, he, he felt the nail marks in Jesus' resurrected flesh. John goes on to say that Jesus appeared. He appeared on earth. He appeared in history. This isn't philosophy. This isn't... Jesus appeared in history. John was an eyewitness of it all. And so John knows. He knows for sure. He knows firsthand. Jesus, who died and rose again, now lives forever. He is, he has eternal life from the Father. He is the beginning of the, the, the resurrection and the eternal life of God's people. Verse 2. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Uh, John now goes on to talk about why he proclaims the truth that he knows about Jesus. Uh, it's, he says, it's so that his readers can have fellowship with him and the other people who, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, the other apostles. Fellowship. What's this fellowship? It's a bit of a Christian word, fellowship, isn't it? Uh, fellowship is a word that means um, a close relationship, a close relationship where you share in something together. Um, outside of the Bible, in the ancient world, the word was most often used to describe the relationship of marriage where you have a relationship and you share everything, this close, intimate relationship. But in the New Testament, they take the word and they, and they use it to refer to the relationship between Christians. It's a close relationship where we, where we share together in the salvation of the gospel. Uh, John wants his readers to have fellowship with him and with the other apostles, to, uh, to, to, to share in salvation with them, uh, to to share the gospel and share their lives. Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. But this fellowship, this relationship between Christians is not just a human thing because through Jesus, through the, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, Christians also have fellowship with God himself. That the salvation of the gospel creates relationship with God as well as with people. And this is a relationship that will last forever in heaven. Still in verse 3. And our fellowship is with the Father, God the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. 
John is writing this letter so that his readers will have fellowship with God. Their relationship with God will be restored for eternity. Fellowship with God and fellowship with God's people. Now John finishes this this introduction by saying that this is what would give him delight. This is what would make him happy. This is what would give him joy. It, It would fill him with joy if his readers put their trust in Jesus and came into fellowship with God and with him. Verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. All right. Well, can you see what's here then in these first four verses of John's letter? He's telling us uh, what he's writing about. What's he writing about? He's writing about Jesus, the eternal word of God. He's telling us why he's writing to have the joy of, of helping us put our trust in Jesus and, and come into fellowship with God and with, with, with John and the other apostles, with God's people. He's writing about God and about Jesus so that we can come into fellowship with God and his people. And, and he's telling us how he knows about Jesus and what Jesus can do. How does John know? Where did he get his information from? He got it firsthand. He heard and he saw and he touched Jesus. John was, he was an eyewitness. Okay. All right, let's think about applying this passage to ourselves. There there are three things here that I reckon are worth us just thinking a bit more about. Three things. First, John's message. Second, John's source. And third, John's joy. John's message, John's source and John's joy. See where we're going? Let's have a think about each one of these in turn, each one of these three things. Uh, First, John's message. Uh, What's John's message? What what does John tell us here? There is a God, a God who has lived forever, a God who speaks, a God who gave us life. There there, there is a God. Now, you, you might believe, as I did, until the age of 20 or 21, you might believe there is no God. Or you might believe that Allah is God. Or you might believe that there are many gods. But friend, if that's what you believe, you're wrong. The risen Jesus, who John saw, the risen Jesus tells you you're wrong. The risen Jesus, he tells you there is one God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. And friends, John says here that you and I, we can have fellowship with this God. Through Jesus, through his life and death and resurrection, you can be God's friend. You can be part of God's family now and and forever. You can have a place in heaven. Now, you might think that you can be God's friend by being a good person or by giving to charity or by going to church but if that's what you believe again, you're wrong. The, the, the risen Jesus who John saw, he says that you're wrong. Th- this risen Jesus says that no one comes to the Father except through him. Y- you need to rely on Jesus to come into fellowship with God. What's John's message? There is a God. You can have fellowship with him and his people through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's John's message. And friends, <clears throat> Uh, friends, it's good news, isn't it? It's good news. There is a God. 
we can be his friend. That means we have value and, and, and meaning and purpose. It means we have reason to live. It means we have hope in the face of death. That was John's message. Our second point. Second point, John's source. How does John know what he knows? What's, what's the source of his information? He was there. He was there. That, that's clear from this passage, isn't it? John was an eyewitness. Uh, do, do you know what, friends? This, understanding this, it, it changed my life. Uh, after that conversation on the university library law, and I, I started to do some thinking about Christianity. Um, I did a course called Christianity Explained, and I, I read a book. I read a book called More Than a Carpenter. I vividly remember one chapter in the book. It was called Who Would Die for a Lie? Now this chapter it talks about how it talks about how the message about Jesus has been given to the world by eyewitnesses. It's different from any other philosophy that people have made up or invented or anything like that. This has been given to the world by eyewitnesses, by people like John, people who heard and saw and touched Jesus, people who People who were in a position to know the truth about him. These people, they were able to know the truth for themselves. They were able to know the truth about Jesus. And the chapter goes on to say, chapter goes on to say that these people, they had no reason to lie about Jesus. They had nothing to gain by lying. In fact, the complete opposite is true. Uh, these people held to the truth of Jesus despite terrible opposition and suffering John himself he, he didn't gain anything by telling people the truth of Jesus not humanly speaking um, Jesus, John, John, John suffered for telling people about Jesus he, he gave up the family business to become an impoverished follower of Jesus. After Jesus was resurrected, John went around telling everyone about him and, and that, that very soon it brought him to the attention of the religious authorities of the day. We read about the story in the book of Acts. Um, in Acts chapter 3, we hear about how John and his friend Peter, they were arrested for telling people about Jesus. They were, the religious authorities, they commanded them to stop teaching about Jesus. But here's what they said. Here's what they said on your outline. Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John were arrested again. They were put in jail this time. They were brought before a court. They were flogged with whips. They were threatened. We will kill you if you won't stop talking about Jesus. But what happened? Have a look on your outline. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the religious authorities, rejoicing because they'd been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, the risen King. Uh, later on, John was um, put in jail, put in jail on an island. It's like an ancient version of being sent to Guantanamo Bay for telling people about Jesus. And you know what he did? He wrote the book of Revelation and sent it off to the churches so they would know more about Jesus. It, it, it didn't matter what people did to John. They could not stop him. 
Do you know what? If John, if he didn't really witness all that stuff about Jesus, if he weren't genuinely convinced, if he was trying to trick people or, or, or anything like that, he had every opportunity to change his mind. But no. Through threats, through imprisonment, through flogging, through exile, he stuck to his story. He just said, I cannot help speaking about what I've seen and heard. And John wasn't the only one. It was the same for all the eyewitnesses of Jesus. Uh, most of them were murdered. John's own brother, James, was killed, murdered by, by the sword for talking to people about Jesus. Uh, that's what happened to just about all of the apostles. And, and yet not one of them ever changed their story. To me, that's utterly convincing. John and the other early Christians, they were in a position to know the truth about Jesus. They were there. They saw it. And they had nothing to gain by lying about it. I vividly remember I was sitting on my bed at my mum and dad's place and I read that chapter in More Than a Carpenter and I remember thinking, hang on, this is real. Jesus really did rise from the dead. That means what he says about God is the truth. This, this changes everything. This changes everything. And, and then I remember later on reading Charles Colson's book, Born Again. Uh, Charles Colson is a man who worked for the uh, United States President, Richard Nixon, and he ended up being put in jail over the whole Watergate scandal. Now, during the course of his imprisonment and so on, uh, Charles Colson became a Christian, and uh, uh, he, he writes his story in this book called Born Again, and, and he makes a fascinating comparison between what happened at Watergate and what happened with the apostles. He talks about how at, at Watergate, uh, some of the most powerful men in the world, they decided that they were going to keep these secrets about what had happened, keep the secret of Watergate. But then, under pressure, within two weeks, all of them were talking to prosecutors, admitting the truth, sorry, we were telling lies and bargaining for immunity. L let me quote from Colson. The 12 most powerful men in America gathered around the President of the United States and began the great scandal known as Watergate. But in spite of all that enormous power, the Watergate cover-up conspiracy only lasted two weeks. Imagine, the 12 most powerful men in the United States could not keep a lie together for more than three weeks. And you're going to tell me 11 apostles lied for 40 years. They were beaten, persecuted, thrown into jail, all except one lost their lives, dying a martyr's death. Yet they never once renounced the fact that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. That's humanly impossible. Unless, in fact, they had seen Jesus. The fact of the matter is, my friends, that men will give their lives for something they believe to be true. Muslim terrorists do it with terrifying frequency. But a man will never give his life for something he knows to be false. The apostles, who were first-hand witnesses, knew what they had seen. And they never would have given their lives if they had not believed what they had seen to be true. These apostles, they were, they were imprisoned, they were flogged, they were threatened with death, and not one of them ever caved in. No way. They just said, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. 
Now, at the time, I, at the time, I found this powerfully convincing. Jesus really rose from the dead, and friends, I haven't changed my mind. I still find this convincing. When it comes to Christianity, we're not talking about some philosophy that people have made up. Uh, John's source was the risen Jesus himself. And John was a trustworthy eyewitness. John's message, there is a God. Through Jesus, we can have fellowship with him. John's source, he's a trustworthy eyewitness of Jesus himself. Third and final point. Third and final point, John's joy. John says that if, if we, his readers, uh, if we put our faith in Jesus and come into fellowship with God and with him, he says that that will make his joy complete. Verse 4. Uh, John found joy. He found delight in seeing people come to faith in Jesus. That gave him joy in this life. And, and friends, certainly this is something that will be bringing John joy in heaven. How many people will be thanking John for, for what he did in heaven. I know I'll be there. I'll be very quick if I can to try and tap John on the shoulder, shoulder, on the shoulder and say, thanks very much for your gospel and for your letters. Thanks for helping me trust Jesus. I, I mean, can you imagine for yourself? You're in heaven and you see somebody there who is there because you told them about Jesus. They came into fellowship with God and with you because you gave them the message. And then every time, Every time they see you for the rest of forever, they just give you a, a nod and a knowing smile. Thanks for what you did. I'm loving it here. Now, John found real joy in seeing people come to faith in Jesus. That motivated him to keep on sharing the message, to, to write the letter, to keep on sharing the message no matter what. Friends, I reckon that's something we should apply to ourselves, don't you? I mean, it would be really delightful to see people around us come to faith in Jesus. It, it would, wouldn't it? And so, well, maybe we should start seeing sharing our faith as less of a burden and more of a privilege, more of a, more of a joy. Maybe, maybe this should inspire us to be a bit, a bit more open, a bit bolder. Don't, don't you reckon? All right, friends, John's message, there is a God. People can be friends with God through Jesus who died and rose again. That's the truth. Um, it's based on the source, the, the reliable eyewitness testimony of people like John. Uh, this is a truth worth relying on. And uh, friends, it, it's a truth worth sharing. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that the message about Jesus is true. Thank you for the apostles who knew the truth and who bravely and faithfully kept on telling it, even despite great suffering. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us to also uh, know the truth about Jesus and put our trust in him and have the joy of being able to share the message and see other people come into fellowship with God and with us. Uh, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.